Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Mark Manukis about his book, Unfear, Transform Your Organization to Create Breakthrough Performance and Employee Well-Being. Mark Manukis, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks, John. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm excited to explore together really what you explore in your new book, Unfear, Transform Your Organization to Create Breakthrough Performance and Employee Well-Being. And everyone wants high-performing teams. Uh, and the question is, how do you go about doing that? And I like how you combine the idea of performance with employee well-being, suggesting that the two go hand in hand. And I agree. I think you can't have sustainable long-term high-level performance from people unless you pay attention to employee well-being in all facets, you know, from physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, social. Um, And so we're going to explore all of that together in the context of your book today. As we get started, I wanted to share your bio with everybody. Mark Manukas is managing partner at Co-Creation Partners and author of Unfear, Transform Your Organization to Create Breakthrough Performance and Employee Well-Being. As I mentioned, uh, Mark, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we dive on into the conversation? Yeah, the only thing I'd share is I'm not the typical person who you might think of uh, you know, to write a book on, on fear and organizations. My background is as an engineer um, and, you know, I used to be very much in the, the land of, you know, if you couldn't put it into a mathematical equation, uh, you know, it wasn't real and it wasn't, wasn't worth focusing on. But over my career, I've discovered how important the human dimension is to creating any real sustainable change in organizations. So my, um, my co-author, Gaurav uh, Bhatnagar, you know, he, um, you know, approaches the world from a, you know, probably a deeper spiritual place and, you know, deep personal transformation. I came at, you know, this work, you know, as a systems thinker, trying to figure out how to improve performance of organizations. And I used to focus on the, the systems and the processes and all the, the hardcore tangible stuff. And I've discovered over time just how important the human dimension is. And this is how we came to write a book together on fear. Yeah, I really like that. Maybe we can start there because those other components are going to be really important. But why do you frame it starting with fear at, uh, at the forefront? Yeah, so uh, you know, our, our premise is that fear is one of the largest sources of waste and dysfunction in organizations. And leaders are stuck in this, you know, this false dichotomy of either I use fear to, to drive performance, and that's partially true. You can scare the crap out of people and get them to you know, be motivated for a short period of time. Or you say, look, fear is a bad thing. We need to suppress it. We need to make people need to be fearless in order to protect human well-being. And we see that as a false choice. 
you know, if you can, you know, see fear not as a good thing or a bad thing, just something that's part of the human condition and relate to it in a different way, you can achieve both performance and well-being. And it's basically, it's all about having more of a learning response in the face of fear and challenges rather than reactive responses. Yeah, I like that. And and like you said, I mean, fear-based tactics, clearly they do work. Uh, they just tend to be short-term uh, and not very sustainable in the long run. So if you're only leading on a, you know, from a fear-based perspective, um, people will burn out. And so you have to strike a balance, but you're right. It's not a, it's not a dichotomy. Uh, it's not either there's zero stress, anxiety, fear ever, or, uh, you know, you're, you're, uh, constant carrots and sticks and, and, uh, scaring everyone to death, you know, to do their job or they're out on the street. Um, we can find a, a healthy balance. And, and so I, I agree. I think that's super important. Um, so with that said, uh, take us into, uh, how you frame out the book and some of those key elements that you highlight. Yeah. So we, you know, the book has two main parts, fear and unfear. So on the fear side, we talk about how it's very natural and human for us to experience fear and, you know, all the ways in which fear sort of manifests in our patterns of behavior. So we talk about uh, these patterns of behavior archetypes called the fight club or the nice club. So those are, you know, the, the typical ways we, we act when we're acting out of fear. And oftentimes people don't realize that they're acting out of fear, but we describe these archetypes so people can understand how waste and dysfunction is created when people are acting out of fear. And then on the unfear side, we show people a way out of that. And it's not about eliminating fear, it's about getting people to see that fear can be a cue for learning and growth. And if you were to adopt certain mindsets and practices you know, at the individual level, the team level, in the organizational or system level, you can create organizations that are unfear that make much different choices in the face of those stressors and challenges. Yeah. So what are, what are some of those things that we can do to approach that? Cause like you said, it's, it's just a natural part of the human experience. We're all going to have um, those, those elements that drive fear, stress, anxiety in our lives. Uh, organizations are complex, messy things and, yeah. and trying to stay competitive in a global market where you're constantly trying to innovate and add value to the market. That's a, that's a hard, stressful thing. Right. And so how do we find ways to not be driven solely by fear and get to that unfear place so that we can have more sustained kind of effort, uh, more in a, in a healthy way over time. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's three basic steps that we help people uh, go through. One is awareness. The second is choice. And then the third is practice. Um, so on the awareness side, we, we want people to become aware of some of the patterns of behavior that they may have that may not be serving them that may be coming from that, you know, that fear-based place. So, you know, for myself, for instance, I've developed a pattern in my life where I'm hyper-competitive, where I start to see everything as a win-lose, um, you know, scenario. And it's, it serves me quite well in, in some ways or has in the, the past where it's, you know, in the face of challenges, I really buckled down and I made sure that I, I won. I got, you know, did better than other people. I got the promotion over other people. Um, but over time, I've come to understand how dysfunctional it's been. You know, it's it's actually caused a tremendous amount of burnout in my life, a lot of dissatisfaction, even a low grade sort of level of depression when I, you know, um, years ago in my professional life. 
and also wrecked a lot of uh, relationships. So I, I sort of one day kind of woke up and looked around and realized how alone I was. And it was because of this, this pattern of behavior. So step one is just awareness, you know, becoming aware of how, you know, maybe how some of these fear archetypes may be playing in your own life and, you know, what's the upside for you, but also what's, what's the downside. So that's, that's awareness. And the second is choice. And one really important distinction that we make in the book is between different levels of learning. So we, you know, we don't invite people just to jump straight to doing things differently because that's not a real sustainable way to, to change some of these deep-seated patterns. We talk about transformational learning. So it's learning that happens at the level of, of mindsets and beliefs and the stories that, that we hold sort of within us. And so we, we talk about very specific mindsets that people can shift or adopt you know, for themselves as individuals in the context of how they work with other people or in teams and also mindsets um, that people have within organizations as, as a whole. So one example would be at the individual level, we talk about you know, getting people to shift out of the mindset of being a victim to you know, a mindset of, of mastery. And so what does that specifically mean? It, it means that you know, rather than seeing um, yourself or you know, how you behave in the world is solely determined by external circumstances and saying, look, I may not control my circumstances entirely, but I always have a choice in terms of how I respond. And so if you were to live life with that sort of um, mindset, it's much easier to step out of these fear-based patterns and into you know, more unfear patterns. And there's a whole range of you know, different mindsets that we walk through at, at the individual team and organizational level. And then the third is practice. And so that's where the action learning comes into to play. And we frame that as as uh, three different conversations. One is the conversation you have with yourself. And a lot of what we talk about there is, is mindfulness. You know, how do you, you know, become more aware of how your mind works and how your emotions work and not be so over-identified with that, but, you know, where you can step up on the balcony, so to speak, and be more an observer of all the things that are going on in your own mind. So that's the conversation with yourself, conversation with other people. How do you build effective trust and have effective, difficult conversations? And then the conversations that you create at an organizational level. So that has to do with the stories you tell as a leader and, you know, the learning routines that you, you create that get people to, you know, learn, you know, every day or after every project. Um, you know, these are the, the, conversations you can create in your organization that really generate learning and prevent people from falling back into those fear-based patterns. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, the journey of becoming a truly remarkable leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue, what some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There is no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of your problems. 
The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Yeah, and and I think about, you know, my experience, um, I, I relate to much of what you were saying earlier, you know, I, I tend to be a competitive, high performing kind of person. Uh, and, you know, potentially that there's positives to that, of course, but um, there, there can also be downsides and in, in relational downsides and burnout downsides. Uh, and as you were just describing the importance of trust, I, I, I don't think that can be overstated. Um, you know, when we're looking at really having vibrant, dynamic organizations, vibrant, dynamic teams, it has to be built on interpersonal relations and mutual accountability and trust. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen. And there's only so much, no matter how capable I may be, there's only so much I can do by myself over time. But if I create a team where collectively we can perform at a high level. So not just one individual person, but like collectively, we all can perform at a high level and it's built upon mutual accountability and trust and, and positive interpersonal communication and relationships, then there will naturally be ebbs and flows for particular individuals on that team. And the rest of the team is there to help and support and to strengthen and uplift. And, and different people might take turns and having bad days or bad weeks or struggling with various things in their lives and, and having other support structures around them to be, to, you know, to, to help mitigate that. Right. And, and I think, you know, when we talk about all aspects of well-being of employees, I, I think that's part of, you know, one of the big, huge benefits of just having really successful um, trust driven teams is that you, you, you reap all of those benefits um, from having those people together and in burnout's going to go way down. Turnover is going to go way down. Pe- satisfaction, engagement, creativity, all are going to go way up. And ultimately that's, you know, that's really what we all want and what's going to drive success for the team and for the organization, as well as the individual in their own career. Yeah. Trust is that, yeah, it it hits a lot of different aspects, performance and well-being. And we see that in teams with a lot of, or with low levels of trust, people are spending all kinds of time and energy managing other people's egos. And so rather than channeling their energy into the collective efforts and achieving common goals that everyone's energized by, they're spending all their time and energy managing other people, people's egos, you know, spending all kinds of time trying to word that email just right to, you know, manage someone else's response to, to various communications. So, yeah, so improving trust means you're not wasting that time and energy on managing other people's egos. It, it's will absolutely have an impact on both performance of the team, but also well-being because you're not worried about all that stuff. You can really, you know, show up on a team and feel much more satisfied when you're not having to manage all that wasteful ego-based stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And just the amount of time people spend and waste on the internal politicking, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's so exhausting and tiresome and, uh, you know, I have to admit, like there, there have been roles that I've been in where I, I feel like 
the job itself isn't that big of a deal. You know, it's, it, there's challenges, but I'm, I'm ready to face them. I have good people. We're doing a good job. I spend half my time, literally half my time, just dealing with the politics and the egos and people that, you know, I, I can't count the number of times I've thought, can't people just act like mature adults? <laughs> and if so, what, you know, what more could we accomplish? And the reality is no, in part because we're all humans, right? And we're all fallible and just regardless of good intentions, ego does seep in and, you know, people have different agendas and it, that's just part of the deal. And so to the extent that we can just have good intentions and, and be generous towards other people, and then also try to make sure that we're not uh, perpetuating, you know, a cycle of that kind of an ego-driven political environment, it, it's, it's going to free up so much time and energy and bandwidth for people to just do what they do and, and do it better. Yeah, I think one of the biggest reasons for this great resignation is a lot of people are feeling unsatisfied in their current work environment, and they're just they're realizing that um, that they're they are wasting a lot of their time, and they're they're probably searching for a better environment. So I think organizations that want to attract and retain the best talent out there will have to grapple with some of the the patterns that they have going on, and will have to figure out ways to improve their their culture. And it gets back to awareness. You know, a lot of leaders with the best of intentions are con contributing to this environment where, where there is a lot of waste due to you know fear and lack of trust and lack of psychological safety and all that, that good stuff. So partly what we're trying to do here with the book is shine a spotlight on those patterns and say, look, it's not inevitable. There are ways you can get out of this stuff. Yeah, that's right. It's not inevitable. It it, it tends to be human nature. Every organization has these elements that we're talking about, um, but it's not inevitable. It can be changed. We can direct things in a more positive path. We can have a help, more healthy work environment. And so uh, we just need to choose to do so and then consistently work towards it. And again, coming back to trust, coming back to focus on not only performance, but balancing that with the well-being of our people. That's one of those ways that we're really going to be able to, to promote that kind of a balance. Well, Mark, it has been a pleasure. Um, we're getting close to the end of our time. Uh, any final kind of nuggets or tidbits that you want to highlight from the book and share with listeners before we start to wrap up? Yeah, one thing we didn't talk about explicitly that I think is, is a really important idea is this idea of the inside-out transformation. You know, oftentimes leaders will focus on, you know, the systems, the processes, maybe what they're doing, you know, and how they're talking about things. And what we're inviting people to consider is that the outside world is a reflection of what's going on with us internally, you know, our beliefs and, and stories. And so if you want to create uh, performance at a system level or organizational level, you've got to start with individual mindsets and then cascade that out into teams and then the organization. So we say that organizations don't transform, individuals do. And when you get an, a critical mass of individuals to transform how they're thinking about things and how they're showing up, you can create this, this chain reaction and really create powerful outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Uh, Mark, it has been a pleasure before we close. I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, absolutely. They can learn more about the book at unfearbook.com and we're on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and indiebooks.com. So check us out. Uh, you can learn more about co-creation partners 
at cocreationpartners.com. That's co-creation partners with no dashes. And final word is gratitude. No, I love it. I love it. Gratitude is so important. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Mark can do for you. Check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.